This podcast is supported by the Rebecca Vassi Trust, a UK-based charity which promotes the art of narrative photography through granting bursary awards to up-and-coming photographers and funding public education projects like this one. This podcast has full editorial independence, and the views expressed in this series are not necessarily those of the Trust. Welcome to Season 2 of the Photoethics Podcast. I'm your host, Savannah Dodd, and I'm the founder of the Photography Ethics Center. Each week, I'll be talking with an accomplished photographer about the ethics of their practice. Today, in episode number five, we'll be talking with Sarah Weiswa about listening first. Sarah Weiswa is a Uganda-born, Kenya-based documentary and portrait photographer with an interest in exploring identity on the African continent, particularly the new African identity. After getting both her sociology and psychology degrees and working in a corporate position for a number of years, she decided to pursue photography full-time. She aims to illustrate the plight of various social issues on the continent in a contemporary and non-traditional way. Sarah hopes to change the narrative on Africa by generating dialogue on developing issues as they happen. She's passionate about creating visual poetry and telling stories in the most organic and creative way possible. I wonder if maybe we could start by you just telling me a little bit about the kind of work that you do. Okay. Well, I'm a documentary photographer. I primarily like to photograph social issues in a creative way and mostly women's issues. I do, however, also work as a photojournalist from time to time. Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> that's great. And, and what kinds of issues have you covered? So I've worked on a number of issues, for example, like the police brutality during curfew times here in, in Kenya. I have done stories, for example, right now I'm working on a story about mental health. During COVID, I have done stories about people with albinism. I have photographed ballet that was happening in an informal settlement here in Nairobi. I also recently photographed an American pedophile who had created a children's home in, in Bomet County here in Kenya and then escaped back to the States. And he was just recently charged with those crimes. Wow. Yeah. So really, it's just, yeah. So it's it's quite a range, I think. Like I said, you know, the photojournalism really kind of introduces me to so many stories. But then, of course, there are positive stories as well, such as, you know, women scientists. I just did a story about women coders. So there's, yeah. So, I mean, I guess... Mm -hmm. There are positive things as well, which, which I like. That's amazing. That's such like a wide gamut of, of types of stories mm -hmm. that you're covering, uh, even at the minute, you know, from mental health during coronavirus to the American pedophile. Like there are so many ethical issues wrapped up in, in just those two, <laughs> those two stories alone, I would imagine. Yes, absolutely. What about with photographing? a pedophile. How do you do that? Like what ethical considerations come into that? I think that that's a really interesting example that we've not really covered yet. Well, I didn't photograph him. He, he took off. So he went back to America. So the part of the story that I was photographing is kind of going, visiting that space, 
talking to some of the girls who he violated, parents of one of the children who died in that home, you know, the school that he rent, you know, the landlord of the school that he had rented out. So just kind of, you know, everybody else, you know, that he kind of left behind. So, you know, I mean, we're talking about ethical considerations as, you know, a lot of these girls are underage, you know. And so it was hard, you know, listening to them and trying to photograph them in a way that wasn't, you know, that wasn't, of course, revealing their faces or, you know, having to get permission from their parents to even do that and explaining all of that. So, yeah, it's it's not it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. It was quite a difficult assignment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess doing so, you know, sensitively as well is really challenging, especially depending on, I don't know, was it sort of a recent trauma or more of a historical trauma? No, it's it's pretty recent, you know, a couple of years. Wow. Um, so, yeah. So these girls were, you know, they're just teenagers. Some of them went to the home when they were about eight. So now they're, you know, they're still underage. <laughs> so it's recent. Yeah. It's recent, and yeah, yeah. When you approach a story like that, for example, about mm-hmm. sexual abuse or a story about mm-hmm. mental health or really any story that sort of can be quite sensitive or quite difficult for people to talk about, how do you how do you first approach that? How do you first approach the people that you're working with? So, you know, if it's a commission project, for example, the pedophile story, you know, I was working with a writer on that. So for me, essentially what happens is, you know, the writer, I mean, we were together, of course, when we visited the town and the people in the story. But, you know, primarily they ask the questions. And of course, you know, at that point, it's, you know, it's just kind of listening and you know, just trying to understand, you know, exactly what took place and, and, and all that. So I come in, you know, a little bit after that, of course. I mean, you know, it's hard because for a story like that, you don't really get to spend that much time, you know, with the people in the story. It's it's kind of like, you know, if you're on an assignment, you have a limited time to complete the assignment and then you have to file the photograph. So, you know, it's hard because you don't have that much time. But essentially after the writer kind of talks to the people in the story, then, you know, then I step in and, you know, I also kind of, you know, have a conversation with them and ask if they're okay with me taking their photographs. Absolutely. I think you touched on a couple like really complicated and challenging issues that sort of just come with the territory of, of the the job, I guess. One of which is time, right? Just being really restricted in time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's something that I hear a lot from people who work in photojournalism is that these restrictions on time make it really hard to do the kind of yeah groundwork that you might want to do otherwise if you were maybe mm-hmm. um, doing it more long form. And the the other thing Mm -hmm. that you touched on that I think is really interesting, and I don't think we talk about it enough on the podcast, is working with a writer. And I think there's a lot probably that goes into that, especially when it comes to, you know, making sure that you're both on the same page about how you approach sensitive subjects or I don't know, foster, you know, that that's a that's a relationship in and of itself, right? That has a lot of ethical considerations in it. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your experience working with writers and and how you navigate that. Yeah, I think I've been lucky in a sense that most of the writers that I've worked with, you know, we've kind of been 
I guess, on the same page. I guess being from here, you know, and understanding kind of the local language, a lot of actually a lot of the writers that I've worked with haven't haven't been from here. A lot of them have been like West, you know, like they're, I mean, they're Western writers, but they're based here. You know what I mean? So, you know, I mean, I think it's worked out well, like we've worked well together. But I think that what gives me a little bit of an advantage is because I speak kind of the local language. So it's it's also easier for me maybe to also connect with the people in the stories, because, you know, when we when it gets to when one of the writers done kind of asking the questions and I, I come in, you know, I can often change and speak in, you know, in Swahili, which also puts people at ease or I guess they recognize that I'm from here and, you know, maybe that also puts them at ease. But I haven't been in a situation where I felt kind of uncomfortable with the line of questioning, which I know is is very possible. I think that the writers that I've worked with, we've worked pretty well together, but I could definitely see that it could be a problem. I see that it absolutely could be a problem. Just to give you a different example, I also have done work with NGOs as well, right? And so that is a little bit different because, you know, I once worked with an NGO and and they had, you know, flown in there, you know, someone who works maybe in the comms department or, you know, whatever department from the UK and they came and then we went together into the field. So, you know, I found that they were not as sensitive to kind of like cultural issues, right? So for Mm -hmm. me, being from here, like there's certain things that, you know, or certain ways that, you know, that I would approach or ask certain things. And, you know, I found that that individual wasn't, obviously aware, one, but two, you know, I kind of bothered by certain things or behaviors. But then I would say, you know, I don't think that that's kind of how things work here or, you know, maybe we should try doing this or just trying to explain certain things. And, you know, because I I think a lot of the issue is with NGOs who work in rural areas when the people see them coming, they think that they've come with like money and gifts and all types of things, you know, so they feel like they really have to perform in order to get those things. You know what I mean? So it is that's that's also quite difficult work to do. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I yeah. my own background is from sort of the international development sector. And I, I saw a lot of that, you know, a lot of that sort of very I don't reciprocal is the wrong word, but just a very pronounced power imbalance in, you know, well, we're mm-hmm, going to extract mm-hmm. your stories or your information and then we'll give you things for it. It just felt really mm-hmm. uncomfortable and really wrong. And, it was. and that's ultimately why I left, you know, the industry really. So no, that's really interesting though. I wonder why that, what that is, I guess, that you've experienced maybe fewer ethical issues when working with journalists than with people in the international development sector. I wonder if that's down to training. I think that's definitely down to training. I mean, I think that even, you know, all these news agencies have guidelines, you know what I mean? So, I mean, I'm sure people cross boundaries a lot of times. You know, we've seen that, for example, in kind of recent discussions about Magnum and, you know, whatever else. But I think that photojournalism has guidelines and that, you know, 
people, you know, tend to try to kind of work within those guidelines. And also, if you're working for an agency that has, you know, if you want to work with that agency, then you have to kind of follow those not even agency, just like a you know publication, whatever, then you have to follow you know whatever guidelines that they provide, right? Whereas an NGO is kind of, I mean, I'm sure they say they have guidelines, but what happens in the field, like you said, you can't change the power imbalance that's so obviously there, you know, mm. because because of the beneficiaries are presented as beneficiaries, and already by being a beneficiary, there's already a power imbalance. You know what I mean? Because it's like, okay, yeah. you're giving, we're, we've given you all these things, now you have to take pictures, you know. So I mean, I think NGO work is probably my least favorite work because it's a very extractive kind of. You know, because it's also like the briefs are very, you know, make sure everybody's smiling, make sure it's positive, make sure Mm. people are happy, make sure, make sure, make sure, you know. And yet when you go into these areas, you know, it's not exactly the, you know, sometimes it's not a smiley situation. Actually, a lot of times it's not really a smiley, smiley situation, but these people are like, oh, okay, we're supposed to smile. Okay, whatever you say, you know. Yeah. And you have a brief, you know, you have a brief and like they expect certain things. And, you know, if you don't follow the brief. So, yeah, I think, like I said, I think that kind of work is probably my least favorite work to do. Are there any examples where you felt like the comms team from an international development organization actually did it really well or not yet? (laughs) Well, I think they do it well when they allow you on the ground to kind of navigate the process, right? So what happens a lot of times is like, if they say, this is what we want, you know, even if they don't send someone, right? If they say, this is what we want, and I always will write back and say, well, you know, this is what I recommend. You know what I mean? This is what's on the ground. So Mm. this is what I recommend. And, you know, I think the best organizations to work with are those that listen, right? And say, okay, well, let's see how we can kind of navigate that. Or, you know, as opposed to maybe those that are like, no, this is the brief. This is what we want. And that's it. So, yeah, I think the best organizations are the ones who work with local photographers and kind of are flexible in terms of like, okay, this is what we want. We'll work with you to see how best you can tell those stories. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I guess I wonder, you know, I think that's really valuable advice. At the same time, I think it's probably quite difficult for photographers to feel like they have the ability to maybe go back to the commissioning organization and say, you know, there's a power imbalance involved in that as well, right? I'm saying that now because I've learned, right? I think I'm in a position now where I've worked in the industry and I've gotten to the point where I know that this is the type of work that I will or won't do. These are the types of things that I'm not willing to do. But, you know, I'm talking from a point of now. I'm talking from a point of the privilege that I've had to learn, the privilege that I had to be in the position that I am in today. You know, when I was starting out, oh, no, of course. I was just happy to have work, right? Um, I, you know, of course, I would never have said, I, I never probably said anything, you know? I was just like, okay, I must, I must, I must. But now I've established a name. I'm hoping that people who seek me out to do whatever work that they want to do that that they you know that one they are familiar with my work but two that if I am able to voice that I'm uncomfortable performing you know any type of work that I can walk away from an assignment and not feel like Mm. you know I mean of course you know as a freelancer you, you know you want assignments and you need to make a living but 
I feel that I'm in a position now where if an assignment is not right for me, then I just won't take it. But, you know, there are those young photographers or people who don't have the privilege to turn down assignments that, you know, of course, it's not as easy as voicing concerns and pointing things out, you know. So, yeah. I think that there's an absolute imbalance in that way, too, is that not everybody is able to speak up. Absolutely. And what would you recommend then to maybe photographers who are not as established in navigating those conversations or, yeah, how how do they deal with that? What would you recommend? I think community is really important. So... I think it's nice to reach out maybe to another photographer, someone who you think, you know, has probably done the work before or might have some good advice for you, you know. So, you know, hey, you know, they've this is the assignment and commission to work on. And, I, you know, maybe I'm uncomfortable about this or that. And maybe that photographer can say, hey, you know, why don't you use this type of language to kind of raise this point or just, you know, I think that's why it's nice to have a mentor or just like I said, it's even community in terms of like just being able to kind of bounce back like what do you think about this and does it sound right to you do you have any advice on what I can say and you know that type of thing I think that's really helpful absolutely no I think that's really valuable for people to hear I think there probably isn't enough opportunities for that that just yet yeah could you talk a little bit about maybe things that you wish that you'd known when you first started out as a photographer sure I think when I started photography, one of the things that now like like irks me is, you know, this idea of being the voice of the voiceless. You know, I think when I was starting out, like that sounded so, I don't know, it sounded like so cool, right? But Mm-hmm. Oh, that I, I quickly, quickly after, you know, after kind of working and just learning about photography, just realized that, you know, that was absolutely just not true. I mean, I don't think anybody can be the voice for anyone else, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so I think that's I wish that that was clear for me early on. How did you, I guess, what made that realization switch for you that that's not what you're doing? You're not being a voice for anybody. And maybe how do you conceive of your practice instead now? How do you view, you know, your role as a storyteller and a photographer now as opposed to how you used to? And what made that change? I think any time that you are telling other people's stories, it has to be a collaboration, you know? Yes, you have the tool, you have the camera, but at the end of the day you have to work with someone in order to be able to tell a story and not even per se. And I think the realization came to me is that, you know, you're not even at the end of it all telling their story. I think you're just telling a version of their story because again, you're the one with the camera. You see what you want to see based on a number of things. And so at the end of the day, it's just a version of their story, but not really, you know, not really their story. And I think I came to this like just after working on several stories and just, you know, each time realizing that, you know, when you go in, you, you, you have to listen, you have to try to understand. And I mean, if you're there for just a short time, really, what could you really possibly understand? So I think it's just something that has come over time, you know, and then of course, becoming familiar with other people's work and and reading and learning and studying and 
you know, learning about photography and the history of photography and, and, and all those things just kind of working together to kind of come to this point. I think there's so much in what you just said, but the thing that really struck me was when you said that, you know, you're telling a version of their story and that, you know, there are many versions and many ways that you could maybe tell a person's story. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a really useful thing to remember. And I guess Mm -hmm. I wonder, you know, keeping that in mind and keeping in mind what you said earlier about time, you know, and the limitations of time, I wonder, is there anything that you do before you start a project, you know, before you go in and start photographing, like what kinds of things do you do to familiarize yourself with the story and how can others learn from that? I mean, I think the story doesn't start with you, you know, busting out your camera. I think doing some research, reading up uh, on, you know, trying to understand the issue yourself about, you know, what it is. And I'm, I'm talking about this like, from a perspective of, you know, if you're working on a personal project, because a lot of times when you're working on an assignment, it could be like, hey, are you available tomorrow? Can you go tomorrow? You know, so, you know, you just don't even have time to even, you know, do any research about it. But I think... In the event that you're working on a personal project, then you then you have time to kind of say, okay, this is, you know, this is a project I want to work on. You know, let me try to understand, you know, the issues here and why why is important for me to tell this story and how am I going to tell this story? So I think asking yourself all these questions is important before you start a story and even just questioning your own perspective at that point, like you know, why do I think it's important and. How am I even connected to this story? And, you know, those type of things I think is important before you even get out there and and into the field. If I can, I absolutely try to. And of course, like I said, you know, time is a factor always. I try to at least maybe meet with people before I even photograph them, if it's if it's possible, just so that you can build at least some sort of relationship before you bring out this tool. So, yeah. I mean, I think there's a number of things to do, but I think, you know, doing a, a little bit of research and, and familiarizing yourself on whatever issues are in that story and trying to see if you can also build a relationship is ideal. And I say ideal because it's not always the case. Absolutely. No, that makes a lot of sense. And what are things that when it is maybe an assignment and you do get the call that, you know, tomorrow you've got to go photograph something and you don't have the time maybe to put in the research that you would otherwise like to do, what kinds of things could maybe the commissioner or the photographer do to compensate, I guess, for the lack of time? Is there anything or is there anything that can sort of make up for that? Sometimes like, you know, in some instances, the editor might say, hey, this is what's going on. Maybe here's a link to a story that we've already written and maybe this is a follow-up. So then you can kind of read and see like, oh, okay. Or a lot of times it's just like a paragraph, like this is what it's about now, you know, go tomorrow, you know? Yeah. Um, but sometimes sometimes they will give you links like, oh, you know, this is a, an assignment to photograph so-and-so. Here's a little bit of background about them. You know, sometimes, sometimes it is it does happen like that, but sometimes it's not, you know, sometimes it's like, here's a general Go kind of out. situation. So figure yeah. it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. And you spoke about, which I think is a definitely a question that's sort of growing in our collective consciousness right now about, you know, 
why is it important that I tell this story? And I think that's a question that people are really starting to ask themselves in a way that they didn't maybe previously engage in that kind of reflexivity. Mm -hmm. And I guess I was just wondering if you could maybe elaborate on that a little bit or discuss that from sort of your perspective or your experience. I think early on, there was a conversation about how foreign journalists, you know, would, would kind of fly in and cover a story and leave. And, you know, of course, that's kind of frowned upon, especially by local kind of photographers and local photojournalists. But I think it's also important to consider that even as an African telling stories about Africa, I think it's still important to consider that, you know, that we could possibly be doing the same thing in, in various different communities. So if I go and photograph a story in an informal settlement, I'm an outsider too, essentially, mm -hmm. you know? And so thinking about that as well, I think thinking about that shift, you know, as well, was important for me in my career because at the end of the day, you know, anytime you go into a situation like that, you're already going in there. One, you don't belong to that community. Two, you're going in there with a camera. Three, you know, you're going in there with privilege, you know. And so I think that's important to consider that just because you're not a white foreign journalist, you still have a responsibility even in that situation because you yourself are still an outsider and have to kind of take the same considerations in order to not kind of jet in and jet out to tell whatever stories that you're telling, even in communities, you know, around you. It reminds me a little bit of an interview I, I did recently with The Other, which is a UK-based group of female photographers from working class communities. And, you know, mm -hmm. I feel like class is something that we don't talk about enough. And I think that that's a really important consideration, you know, that they're not only are there sort of ethnic, racial, and geographic differences sometimes between photographers and the people that they're photographing, but also class differences, mm -hmm. also regardless, a difference, I guess, of access to media and then that fundamental imbalance of the person who's telling the story, right? Versus the person who uh, the story is absolutely. about. And, you know, a lot of times, particularly with photojournalism, is once you've left, you know, that's it. Like, it's not like you go back there and say, hey, this is where the, you know, the photos were published or, you know, you've reported on that issue. It's, you don't go back. Absolutely. Yeah. Sort of this, it still can be quite an extractive process, I guess. Absolutely. Um, even Absolutely. if you're not technically a, a parachute photographer. I think that's a really exactly. important... And that's, and that's the point that I guess I was trying to make is, you know, you, you might not be the, you know, white parachute photographer, but I think it's important still to consider the extractiveness sometimes of the process and just being mindful and, you know, how do you navigate that? You know, something that we talk about sometimes in particular with photojournalists, but also with documentary photographers is this idea of moral injury and how the things that we see, either when we're photographing or when we're going back and editing images, it can be quite traumatic. Is there anything that you've found, or has this been an experience for you? And if so, how have you dealt with that? And what sort of things have you been able to put in place? Hmm. Can you expound, give me an example. Can you expound on that a little yeah. bit? Mm. I'm thinking about that idea of of leaving, you know, the fact that you can leave. But mm -hmm. just because you're mm -hmm. leaving doesn't mean that you aren't impacted, I guess. 
yourself in your own Mm -hmm. way. And Mm -hmm. I think that Mm -hmm. sometimes that impact can be hard to manage emotionally. I mean, if we look at the story that I told you about, like the pedophile, right? Yeah. You know, like talking to those girls and, you know, just listening to the stories of how he would, you know, violate them and, and whatnot. And then kind of having to leave. I mean, I'd say, especially for me, it's like, I thought about, you know, I thought, I still think about those girls, um, yeah. every single one of them. And that has never really left, you know? And of course the story was published and, you know, he was sentenced in the States and he'll be doing time. But I just thought about the brokenness that he has left behind and, and it stays with me. I, I think about those girls all the time. I think about that situation all the time. I think it's just something that that doesn't leave you, you know? Yeah. One question that I want to ask um, everybody who comes on the podcast is what does photography ethics mean to you? I think the first thing I would say is that recognizing that just by virtue of you having a camera, that you have a certain power, depending obviously on the type of photography that you're doing, but that you have a certain power over, you know, the people that you're photographing. And so being conscious of that, I think, is is really important. And I think if you're conscious of that, how you navigate kind of the storytelling and how you use that power, I think, is 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 really important um and 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 you know and and not abusing that power i think i think that's what photography ethics is 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 really trying not to abuse the power that the camera gives you thank you very much for listening to this episode of the photo ethics podcast The aim of this podcast is to share new insights about photography ethics with others. So if you heard something you liked, please share this podcast with someone who would appreciate it. The links to all things mentioned in this episode are available in the show notes at www.photoethics.org. Join me next week when we hear from Waleed Shah on Breaking Stereotypes. If you're enjoying this podcast, why don't you check out our online courses? We've developed a series of three online courses designed specifically for photojournalists and documentary photographers. We discuss questions like, how do we achieve accuracy in our photographs? What's the relationship between power and consent? And when, if ever, should we intervene? These online courses come with perks, like access to an online community group for discussion, and Q&A opportunities with me, the course leader. Enroll today at www.photoethics.thinkific.com or go to www.photoethics.org and click online courses. This podcast was edited by Ellie Gascoigne 